Welcome to the Reimagined Podcast, a podcast that seeks to reimagine faith and life and community as we link, learn, and live together. I'm Greg English, along with Brad Hoffman and Brian Dupuy. Today, on episode 52, we have a conversation about a public missiology and how local congregations can thicken their witness in the public realms where they live, work, and play. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Hi. Hey. Hey. Hello. <laughs> I need a little more enthusiasm. <laughs> this is episode 52. <laughs> 52. I know. I know. Holy cow. I don't know. Do I say happy Who anniversary to each thought. of you or what? Wow. Thought, how, yeah. how does this go? Well, where, I mean, where are my gifts? The yeah. card will be good enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The gifts. Uh, well, the gifts. Yeah. I know. It's We've, hard to believe. 52. 52 yeah. episodes. Yeah. One year. Wow. wow. Yeah. One year. Yes. Whoever, I, I look forward to the edited best of uh, version <laughs> version that comes out here shortly with all the laughs and yeah, yeah. 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 all the outtakes. We all have had some important uh, moments. We've had some great conversation. We have some great stories that have been yeah, shared. Absolutely. And, uh, we've certainly seen the journey over the year of multiple um, conversations, which actually I think will play into this idea of public missiology, which we'll talk about today Yeah, yeah. Uh, because yep. it has been much uh, public uh, displays taking place and how our private lives are woven in that. Yeah. Absolutely. So we'll kind of dive into that, but I just want to say congratulations, boys. Happy yeah. anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. That's awesome. That's awesome. I need it's a little music in the background, but up, yeah. bang or something. I mean, what are you doing over there? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> After 52 episodes, I'm weary. It's just uh, no yeah. time to be fatigued. No, no. And I was, you know sure. what? Actually, what I was thinking about, and I can't, I'm sorry, I can't recall the name of the graph that we brought up, you know, 10 months ago. But you remember when we, we first hit, this uh, we talked about when when a natural disaster strikes or some form of disaster hits, right. how you, it goes down and then it pops back up and we have this mm-hmm. enthusiasm. Then we got to go down for the next eight months yeah. and we hit that year mark. And right. it's after that year mark that that culture, society, people, whatever, begin to curve back to whatever new will be. And it's almost like I'm finding that to be a little true. Yeah, oh, I think so. Absolutely. So yeah. kind of yeah. engaging. We, we got at least. Six more months left in. Yeah. Like. Like, yeah. yeah. We, we just want it to go quick. Yeah. Go quick. Yeah. Please. It's a quick yeah. burn. Yeah. 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 That's so, right. That's right. Uh, so there is a new army out there. Oh. oh be, don't be surprised. Okay. It's an army of ghost kitchens. Have you heard about ghost kitchens? These are the kitchens that are haunted? Yeah, well, it could be. <laughs> yeah. Because it's kind of freaky when you figure out where your food's coming from. Or the oh. kitchen. Oh. Yeah. I'm saying the kitchens that aren't being used. Uh, well, that's that, that's a good a good concept because it transfers. But that's over. not your concept. No, yeah. no. So we're going to talk about ghost kitchens no for idea. a moment. And yeah. I'm going to relate yeah. it back to the idea. What you know, down the line will we see ghost churches in this process? So the ghost kitchen concept. <laughs> One industry estimate: there are now about a hundred thousand virtual restaurants in the United States alone, many bearing suspiciously search engine optimized names. Like Omelet Farm and Pizza of New Pizza of New York. So you're familiar with Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats, all this kind of stuff, right? Sure, right. So what has happened with, in the last year with uh, re, with with, re, yes, with restaurants? <clears throat> they've they've, you know, DoorDash, Grubhub, and all that came in and started doing delivery. Like that was right. a pre-pandemic thing. Well, since then, since restaurants have closed, the food service deliveries, you know, it surged massively. It, it surged from like. 1 billion in 2019 to 1.46 billion in 2020 mm-hmm. based on everything. Yeah. So what's happening is these legacy restaurants have have created a new anatomy of the kitchen. So it's called the ghost kitchen. 
So you can now run Brian's legacy steakhouse, but you could also go <laughs> like out of my kitchen. <laughs> no, you had that restaurant, Uh huh. but in yes, out of your kitchen, you can start up this thing called burger hipster or Mr. Hot dog or mm, pizza, whatever. And in that you're actually doing business as these other pseudo you know, names and people are going on, on the apps and saying, Oh, I've never heard of this local restaurant for, I'm going to get it. There's one story where these people or these wings and come to find out Chuck E. Cheese was the actual restaurant that was producing these under the name of something different. Yeah. I have had an experience with that. Have you really? <laughs> I have. I didn't even know what you're talking about, but I've had the experience. So, so you know, so we were, no, we were down Myrtle and we were flipping through. We weren't going to go out somewhere, so we we're going to have stuff brought in over the beach. And we were flipping through, and then there's this, the kids want ham- hamburgers. So we, okay, so we flip through hamburgers. Well, some kind of strange name, Hamburger. Had some good ratings, stars. So I'm going to try this. Come to find out, the hamburgers were from Hooters. There you go. Well. But it was a whole different name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would not have ordered a hamburger from Hooters, probably. No, well, that's the thing. I would think wings or something like that. But but yes, but it had a different name. And then we saw the packaging when it came in. It was from Hooters. Yeah. So So I've had the experience. So I've lived the ghost kitchen. Did you like it? Well. Or when you found you out, feel did betrayed? It, I felt yeah. betrayed. Did you? I felt lied to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, but wow. I just ate Sensitive dinner culture. and just went on. Yeah. 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 It's not a big deal, right? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's a range of wing spots like in northern suburbs yeah. outside of New York City. Uh, so there's Neighborhood Wings, which is operated by Applebee's. Yeah. Uh, there's Alfonso Wings, which is a spinoff of a pizza shop. There's Chicken Wing King, operated by a local bar. Um, and there's Wings Mac and More. Um, that's out of New Jersey. And so people are focusing on the simple specialty concepts. Yeah. But you just talked about burgers or omelets, avoiding the high coveted real estate and sharing kitchen space to and equipment and resources and square footage to put out these notorieties of burger hipster or things like that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. So ghost kitchen. Stop pretending people. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to make a dollar, man. Just be who you are. Yeah, that's, that's, okay. that's okay. That's okay. Stay in your lane. Now. Trying to make a living in a difficult time. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. You talk about it in terms of restaurants, right? If you look down the line, I have no idea, and I could be way off the rocker, and anybody's welcome to tell me that. <laughs> Is there a concept in this idea of? How would people gather in groups or churches going forward? I mean, this is like futuristic kind of conversation. Where you, you walk into like a little, what you think is a little country church and you come to find out it's Saddleback. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. Saddleback. This whole time it's been Saddleback. Yeah, and some of that's kind of out there. I mean, you yeah, know, you do yeah. have those multi-site camp. Yeah, sure, sure. Campus ideas. Well, there are churches that share space. Yes. You know, and do different things different yeah. times. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's great. That's interesting. So yeah. there you go. So Ghost, Ghost Kitchen. Church. Ghost Church. <laughs> Ghost Church. <laughs> oh, you wow. may be onto something, man. Maybe on something yeah. right there. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a futurist. We've talked to a few, and that's not my gift. I just found this as one who loves cooking and food and things like that. This was a. Now, wow, the, this is happening. the only time it would really get me is if I did learn that this gourmet something that I'm enjoying would, came from Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> like. <laughs> I've been in a Chuck E. Cheese. Like I, in the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, that would feel like a betrayal to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of you can let slide. 50 bucks and then tip yes. 20 bucks. So yes. It's like, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah the right. place yeah. in which you don't know you're yeah. eating the box or the crust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yep. oh, Those animatronic oh. I guess they will yeah. no longer be a sponsor for the show. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh, I love used to go and get tokens. I mean, we do Chuck E. Cheese and Krispy Kreme donuts back to back. I mean, I was a kid. Oh, wow. That's where a kid has fun. Or is that Toys R Us? I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Mm. That's good. So cool anyhow, too. well, let's move on to yep, episode yep. 52. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> I, I gave you what I know. <laughs> so, uh, hey, uh, uh, Brian, you will be yeah. thil- thrilled today as uh, there's another connect in, in, in mm. your long line of theology. Mm. Uh, mm. So hang on um, to yourself here. It's like homecoming. It's like, <laughs> it's like a... Homecoming at my church. It's kind of yeah. uh, unfair to the rest of us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so uh, today we're going to dive into the conversation of uh, public missiology. And so we welcome Greg Okinson to the podcast today. Greg is the dean of the E. Stanley Jones School of World Mission and Evangelism at the Asbury Theological Seminary and the Ira Galloway and D.M. Beeson Professor of Leadership Development, Mission in evangelism. He previously served in East Africa as a church planner and is the author of Reimagine Modernity and in 2020 authored his newest book, A Public Missiology, How Local Church Witness to a Complex World. So Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's great being with you. Thanks for the invitation. Yes. Glad to have you. And uh, are, are you using ghost kitchens? Are you aware of those? No, I've, I've, my mind has just been blown today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Wow. You're welcome. I've done my part. <laughs> yeah. So good luck on your lunch order. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we we want to uh, jump in a little bit today. I, ju- I do want to say just in regard to a public missiology, uh, the, the book that's been put out, uh, it is a, it is a great read. Um, it's a challenging read. Um, but it, it's a great read. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and I have reminisced through it as uh, I have served in uh, different countries as well and kind of un- looked through this con- the complexity of, of public and private spaces of our lives and public things like that. So really enjoy reading through this, and I see it as one that you just can't read through one time. It's got yeah. a lot of thought and process to it, and, um, and we'll talk about that a little bit. So can you just share briefly your story uh, of your journey? Yeah, and 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 I think that's a great segue to the book because certainly the the material in the book is something that has been emerging in my my thought and my own story. So I'm a I'm a third generation missionary to Africa. Grandparents were missionaries in Tanzania. Parents were missionaries in Kenya. I was born in Kenya. So have 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 a strong historic heritage related to Africa. Actually, grew up in in upstate New York in a, a very missions minded church, and so just um, you know, having dinner with people from around the world was natural to me. And um, went away to college, to Wheaton College, and came back as a youth pastor. And so, as a youth pastor, engaging North American youth, and we had a really strong program of evangelism and discipleship, and yet. Getting involved in youth lives took me into areas such as uh, mental illness, issues of eating disorder, issues of broken uh, families. And I had great theological resources to kind of deal with conversion, for, with evangelism, with discipleship, but struggled to know how do you deal with broader areas of health, social uh, systems, my theology didn't really go in those directions. Uh, went back to Wheaton, where I served and did student development, and again, wrestling with these 
issues and not knowing actually how the gospel relates to these larger public aspects of life. But it wasn't until we we became missionaries, church planters in East Africa, working among a Muslim, living very remotely, and every day just be you know right in front of you, just poverty and deforestation and disease. And really, I, I, I feel like those years really is when I became alive to thinking, how does the gospel actually relate to larger public realities in life? And um, ended up, um, after those years, doing theological education in East Africa and my students in my classes asking questions about public realities. And, and my last year in, in Africa, I was posted to a hospital where my job was to actually integrate theology into a medical curriculum. And so there was just this movement where the spirit was taking me deeper into how do we address larger public realities of life? And, uh, and now have been at Asbury for the last decade and, and teaching and writing on these issues. And, and, and just want to say that this is not just an issue for um, over there, wherever over there is. But, you know, this past year dealing with a global pandemic, dealing with racism in our country, dealing with a, an incredibly polemical political season. I mean, these are issues that we've got to address in North America. How does the gospel actually relate to these larger public realities? So can you give briefly, I mean, we'll talk about how, to, how this came about of writing a public missiology, but can you briefly state um, a, a definition of the difference of pub when you, when you speak of public realms, what does that look like? Yeah, so, you know, the public realm is where we live every day, and especially with changes in uh, technology, it's not just something that's outside uh, the doors of our house, but it actually is streaming into our house in terms of social media, smartphones. So uh, historically, we often think of the public realm as these kind of discrete Location. So politics is in a location, economics is in a location, media is in another location. But the reality for all of us is that there's an overlap, there's a, a mixing of those realms, you know, that politics doesn't just stay in its place, but kind of wants to mer merge into economics and social media and family and community. So uh, what I try and narrate in that uh, in the book is that we are experiencing a thickening of the public realm, where it is there's this overlap, there's this interpenetration of different domains, and every day we swim in those these waters. It's mm. it's shaping our identity, it's shaping our affection, it's shaping our vision of what the world is. It's even shaping our theological lenses. But we, we just haven't developed resources, to, and especially in through churches, to actually say, how do we actually address the public realm where we live all day of our lives? So the book itself and, and writing that, uh, the audience for that, how did that come about? I know back in uh, the mid uh, 2015, 2016, you were involved in some work with some other uh, thinkers in regard to public uh, theology or public missiology and the difference between those is that is that a result of this and and where does this book fit in? 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I was involved in public theology, even in Africa. And, and a lot of what I was doing was public theological work and came back to the States and actually found some colleagues who were missiologists and were thinking, uh, how do we not just engage the public realm? How do we not just think theologically about the public realm, but how do we do it? How do we actually think about witnessing through the gospel to public realities and how do we do it through the church? So as missiologists, we care about the gospel. We care about the church. Um, and we care about changing dynamics of culture. Um, and so we kind of sit at the intersection of those. So so it's been fun. And, and certainly even my colleagues, their understanding of public missiology would be different than mine. But what this book really is trying for me to articulate what it means for us to um, to articulate a public missiology. So uh, I'm interested in in what you were seeing as um, the need in the end, even the opportunity for the church um, as you as you kind of traced um, from from the early church and through the Enlightenment. Um, what what happened to where? Uh, where there became this this separation, uh, specifically in the church. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's a really fascinating story. And of course, it's a larger story than I'm even able to tell. And I'll just admit that. But certainly, um, there has been a legacy of separation, of, of separating the spiritual from the material, of separating the sacred from the secular. And, and the Enlightenment period uh, really pushed these things farther apart. So the spiritual or the sacred was given, you know, a, 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 a specific location, and everything else was public. So you know, and and the sacred was often associated with the private. So we we think of like churches. Okay, you can actually articulate your faith. You can live out your religious convictions, but don't let those enter into the public realm. And and for some, there was a good reason. Let's just be honest, as Christians, we've not always played well in the public realm. And we, we don't have a, a very good history of actually knowing how to engage in public realities. So that in itself also forces us into, you know, this small spiritual box. And, and, and there, there's been some insecurity as Christians, too. We think, well, the public realm is going to it's going to distort our faith. And of course it can. Uh, so in order to keep our faith pure, we again push our faith into the walls of the church or into our personal private belief systems. Uh, but that but that has led to other problems in which we really, uh, our witness to public realities is, is, is incredibly compromised. So one thing that I really, really appreciated uh, about about the book is that like smack dab in the middle of this book is um, a look at uh, the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. And uh, yeah. and the relationship and how we're included in that and what that means, not not just in academia, but in the church and, and but ultimately in 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 public Um uh, can you say a little bit more about that? Uh, and uh, ha- has there been a tendency to to shy away or to not talk or to not integrate um, our, our view of the Father, Son, and Spirit in all that all of life? 
Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, one of the the historic um, legacies of of Christianity and evangelicals and conservative evangelicals has been that we have consistently opted opted for simplicity rather than complexity. Yet right in the heart of the Trinity, we find a beautiful complexity. <laughs> you know, so we often think that complexity is the problem. And we, what we just need is we need things more simple. Mm-hmm. And and there is there is a bad complexity. Uh, and, uh, or, and, and what I'm not talking about is an overly academic complexity, but right in the heart of the father, son, and the Holy spirit, the relationship of the persons, the, the thicker unity that we find in the persons is really just this incredible community that is the template for what the church should be. And so part of what I'm arguing is that there is a complexity in local congregations that actually mirrors that which we find in the Trinity, and we shouldn't run away from that. And it's a complexity of movement. It's a complexity of unity and diversity. It's a complexity of, of gifts. And, um, and, and that is actually takes us to ecclesiology, to the nature of the church uh, and, and, I think we need more engagement of the importance of local congregations as the embodiment of uh, God's community in this world for what it looks like and how we are to witness to the, to the fullness of life. Wow. You know, it's um, one of the things I know we talked about um, previously um, was really about the idea of, of hope for the church and hope for, um, pastors and um, and and I know you have a message and you, you desire for hope for them. Can you speak into that for a moment? Yeah. So you know, I think I, I think I have gone through my stages of cynicism, like everyone else is about <laughs> local congregations. I, I, mean, I just love the transparency here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm I, you know whether it's the cycles of grief or whatever it is. I'm you know I'm I've I've gone through that. I've seen ugliness in local congregations. Um, I've felt it within my person. And yet, as somebody who has probably spent the last 20 years actually studying local congregations, I I have found a beauty in local congregations that I've never seen before. And and actually, as a seminary professor, lead my students through the process of actually doing research of local congregations in order for them to see the beauty so Leslie Newbegin, who's one of my heroes, he, he talks about the local congregation as the hermeneutic of the gospel. And I just think that's a beautiful way of talking about the importance of uh, congregations. And he, he goes on to talk about one of the ways that we are the hermeneutic of the gospel is that we are the hope for the world. We are, we are to be the embodiments of where God is taking everything. And we, and we know that we fall short, and we know that the church has problems. But through the process of studying local congregations for 20 years, and not just in North America, but around the world, I have just seen a beauty. Mm. I, I've, seen, I've seen a thickness of local congregations. I've seen movements that take place in, in and around local congregations. 
instance. And so in the book, I give three case studies to just highlight not three ideal churches, but just three churches that are actually having a public witness in three different ways to just try and let people see some of the beauty of what is happening in and around local congregations. I think that's an important aspect. Um, you know, one of the things that, um, and I think that, I mean, that's hopeful, you know, that's meaningful, that's hopefulness. But one of the things that I picked out of the book and has really resonated um, in some conversations that I've had with people recently has to do with that whole complexity, simplicity um, arrangement. And I think that's that. And of course that comes back to what we're, you know, the father, son, Holy spirit, this Trinitarian aspect, but it, but I think, um, we live in a complex world and I don't know if we really understand how complex it is. And we, cause we live from our perspective and we live from the simplicity of our ideas. So it's not necessarily that we see the complexity of the world or of the public. And yet we try to, we try to give simple answers or simple solutions to very complex issues. Um, how would you give wisdom? I mean, if you had, if you could say something to every church leader <laughs> about that aspect of complexity and simplicity in ministry and approach in the public sector, how would you, how would you engage that conversation? Well, it's a great question. And, and certainly some of it would depend on who the pastors are and their location, you know, as especially white evangelicals, we, we do have a cultural toolkit that uh, is, that focuses upon the individual and focuses upon the spiritual. And we do not want to move away from the individual. And we don't want to move away from the spiritual. But certainly our, our um, you know, black churches, um, ethnic churches in the United States, they they have a different toolkit. They, they certainly see social, rea- complex social realities because they, they feel them. And... Um, and so I think my message would be certainly that complexity is not the enemy of the gospel, that, but that we actually see it in, uh, in, in the beauty of the narrative of Scripture and, and that we actually need to tell that, that large narrative over and over and over again because the narratives that we swim in every day of our lives are public narratives. They're ideological narratives. And and that we we live every day within social complexity. So, you know, one of the reasons why young people are leaving the churches is that they they see every day of their lives this social complexity. And when they come to the church, they're getting kind of individual simplistic answers for the social complexity. And they're saying, well, you know what, I, I don't see uh, the gospel as an individual thing. It's a spiritual thing yet every day I'm struggling with um, issues of poverty or human sex trafficking what I care about is racism what I care about is um, you know cha- changes to human identity as a result of social media and so those are the things that they the questions that they come and they come to the church and we're trying to give them nice pat. Uh, answers rather than helping welcome them into the story of God and what God is doing in this world and in this incredible beauty of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And um, so I think we, we've, got to, we've got to develop our, our toolkit 
but without moving away from the spiritual, without moving away from the personal. Uh, but we've got to think of witness in larger larger terms because that's where God's taking, right? You know, the reconciliation, reconciliation of all things to Jesus Christ. Right. That's where God's taking this world. And we need churches that say, well, that's, that's what we want to be a part of. So are we, are we, and this is a whole other aspect, are we just afraid to do that? Are we, do we just like the simple? And so we think if we just live in the simple, it's fine. And so we're, we're fearful to invite that larger. <laughs> or, or is, I don't know. Or, I mean, or is this simple egocentric? Uh, you know, you know, that's a that's another aspect as I, well. I'm, I'm, I, don't I don't know. I just yeah. throw that on the backside. Of <laughs> yeah, that. yeah. Thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, and I, I would actually love your thoughts on that. I, I, I think we are guilty. I, we're, I think we're guilty of both. Yeah. You know, so as pastors, let's say, you know, we, we have an there's an expectation that we would give answers to people. Mm. And so we sometimes package those answers up in a way that is easily, easily to deliver them rather than actually discipling people into what does this look like for the kingdom of God on earth and involving people and their questions and their struggles. So there, there could be some egoism in, in our pastors. There could be fear that it takes us into areas where we haven't been trained to go. <laughs> and, and, and that, I mean, that's my story. I'm, I, you yeah. know, I'm constantly leaning into these things and it's messy and uh, I'm not going to say the right things and I'm going to struggle, but I just feel like the, the issues that we find in the public realm are so dire you know, John Wesley talks about complicated wickedness. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we see in our world today. It doesn't mean the world is as wicked as it could possibly be, but there's a complexity and there is a wickedness to the public realm. It's, 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 you know, it's intoxicating. It's, it's trying to capture our affections. It's claiming our allegiance and we actually wow. need to shepherd people into that where they can actually, they can see it and identify it. And we as a community can then witness to it by the inbreaking of the kingdom of God in this world. It kind of goes to, uh, you know, and there's a reference to intentional inconvenience. So uh, I was outside, you know, I sent you guys a photo, like I'm outside yeah. finishing the book down at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. And it was a beautiful night last night. And there was hundreds of people outside there sitting there uh, doing anything and everything. And I'm watching complexity in publics in front of me, the number of groups and the different groups. And I, I looked over at Kelly and I said, you know, I just I'm look at the complexity of things that are here. Look at the people that the diversity uh, and you never know what walks of life they're in. And then I think back, going back to living in overseas environments, I had to understand the context in which I lived and had to learn the cultural uh, rhythms of life, the, 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 private, uh, the private ones and the public ones, and how does that function and how you live in that and, in order to share life with those people. And we lived in a home with the family. In order to do that, we had to live in the messiness of, of the intentional inconvenience and then I go back and I think a year ago uh, in the midst of a medical pandemic and then racial tension and going back to those conversations, I, I go back to this question that you asked, Greg. It's like it's hard for us to dive into those things because they're uncomfortable. 
But it's hard yeah. for us to dive in those things because I, I don't know how well we discipline ourselves to engage in intentional inconvenience. Yeah. But in order to engage in the intentional inconvenience, I, I, I'm, I'm convicted that if, for me to go down on, on, on the main street where protests were happening, where stores were being, uh, uh, you know, destroyed wherever, or my neighbors were, were, were protesting, for me to step outside my door and experience that, they had to know me so that I can be in relationship with them in order to speak with, I love what you said in the book, you speak within and for, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not yeah. not speak at or to, but speak yeah. within and for two people in relationship so that I could get into complexity of it. And I can't wait till I know all the answers because I do not know all the answers. <laughs> we just have to get in. Yeah. So how do we become uncomfortable yeah. with intentional inconvenience? I, I know for me, I grew up, and not just in my church, but just in the church culture around us, it was very much an isolation, very much a seclude yourself away, yeah. you know, uh, hold on, protect, defend, you know, it was an us versus them. Uh, it was modeled uh, by the people around me, um, and it was a sign of true belief, you know, um, that, that you would create that. Of course, that doesn't reflect the Father, Son, and Spirit, you know, in relationship, and and so I think it is a lot of that. It's And, and even now, it's easy for me to be isolated um, from these, the complexity of, of the public around me and, and, um, and then just throw out answers, you know, and, but to engage in that is, uh, yeah, that takes, uh, that, that takes the, the work of the Holy Spirit. It takes the, uh, the, the coming together of the body of Christ uh, for the, for the gathering, you know, there's this in, in, encouraging and celebrating what God has been doing. And it, it also takes this belief that God is at work in the midst of that messiness, you know, that, uh, that God, oh, is, God doesn't work in the mess. Yeah, Only the yeah. Stuff, right? yeah that, that God's there just as much as God's here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, there's, again, you talk a lot about weaving together and yeah, there is this weaving like that. together. That, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I'm just encouraged that, you know, that you would, that you would admit that this is something that we need to dive into because I think we need more modeling of that by church leadership. And yeah. I think it comes with a humility, a vulnerability, mm-hmm. you know, that, that statement intentional inconvenience actually came from a pastor that I interviewed who was a pastor as a black pastor of a multi-ethnic church. They've got over seven, over 60 nations in their church. And uh, over over uh, coffee break in between services, he leaned forward and he said, do you know the secret of how we do this, what we do? I mean, 60 nations, you know, uh, and he says we practice the discipline of intentional inconvenience that when people come to church, they are not coming to be convenienced. They're coming to actually um, hear the voices of people who are brothers and sisters in Christ, but who have different narratives who, who have different stories. And, and it really takes, you know, for us to actually put a pause on our interpretations and to actually look at our interpretations and to say, is this of the kingdom of God? How do I listen and learn from other brothers and sisters in Christ? Uh, and, and that takes an incredible amount of humility. And yet to come back to the Trinity, we actually see that we, we see that that movement, we see that giving and receiving, we see that sacrificing and loving and serving in the divine community. So why 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 shouldn't we follow that same pathway? So 
as the church goes forward, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's uh, and it's whether it's in personal, it's a digital format or whatever, the church is going to gather in in a format, but it, but we we have to live scattered, right? So why is it essential for the church to be both gathered and scattered? And how do the two inform each other? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's a, I, I think that's a large part of what I'm trying to narrate in this church is that we, we see, we, we see there's a push for the church to get out into the public realm. And absolutely, we, we've got to do that, but we can't do it by sacrificing all and who we are in our gathering practices. So in our gathering practices, worship, liturgies, sacraments, you know, the word of God spoken, testimonies, prayer. I mean, these are all things that one of the most radical things that we can do as a witness to the public realm is to gather <laughs> and, and to gather in ways that actually break down those walls of hostility and allows worship to actually create new people and challenges our presuppositions and challenges our other allegiances and in order to now scatter, not just as pastors, not just as a few, but the entire body, you know, and we scatter into our homes and to our places of work and third places in society. And, and I think we've got to disciple people to actually see how their professions of health and school and agriculture can actually be means of witness into our world. And, and, and then we, and this is probably the hardest part. And, and we've actually got to allow the public realm into our gathering practices. Mm-hmm. Now, the reality is, is that people don't leave the public realm at the door. They don't just like hang it up like a coat. They're always bringing their public affections, their, their, their public, um, you know, allegiances into the, but, and, and it's there in the gathering that we need to allow them to come and pick to contact with Christ, the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, um, liturgy, sacrament. And I think that's the weaving part. And every, you know, every church is going to try and figure out how to do that in a way that, uh, that makes sense for them. Um, but I, I do think that, uh, we've got to connect the gathering with the scattering more than we do. That was good. So maybe it's not this, the the old statement, you know, people bring their baggage when they come. People, maybe it's people bring the publics. Yeah. I mean, with that's what's happening. We're all coming right? in with those things, right? Yeah. And that gathering is, you know, just, uh, you know, homes, places, spaces, whatever. Yeah. So, um, any last word of encouragement uh, that you would like to offer to uh, just not just the um, the Jesus follower, the person that uh, looks back and says, you know, this is I can read about this, I can see that, but where do I really begin with this? I think it's just great to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is taking the world to God's appointed purposes, and that we've got to trust the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. We've got to be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. I think we've got to take comfort in the fact that Christ has defeated the powers, that uh, he's disarmed them, you know, to use kind of Pauline language, that greater is he that is in us that is than he that is in this world. Yeah. 
and that uh, and that we are leaning into the the day in which Christ will reconcile all things to Himself, all things, which means public realities, which means every every part of who we are. Christ is reconciling that to Himself. So I think those are you know just great encourages encouragements, and that don't give up on local churches. I I know it's easy to do that, but they are the hermeneutic of the gospel, and and we we desperately need the gifts and the graces of local congregations in communities all around the world. That's a powerful statement. That's a great statement yeah. and uh, a great conversation that uh, I look forward to continue on and learning learning about and and challenging uh, the convictions of my my own life and yeah. my own neighborhood. Yeah. Um, it's easy for me to sit there and look at complexities, but I have to make a decision to walk into the complexities um, and move from the convenient picture that's in front of me to the inconvenience of, boy, this conversation could just get weird. I mean, you just never know. So I just think about, you know, it's, uh, it's, I think we have the title for this episode. <laughs> that's right. There you go. The conversation could be uh, I just think about the, in, I mean, takeaways for me is like the in, intentional inconvenience. It's a practice. It's a, it's a, it's a dis- discipline as yeah. a disciple. Yeah. Uh, you know, how, how do uh, people go and live their lives, their work, their play uh, that point back to a reconciliation uh, that there is a new kingdom being birthed? And it's something that we want to be a part of, and the church, local churches roll in that. Yeah. Um, outside of the the great new words that I learned, and by the way, uh, I am. I said I was going to use it. I'm not sure I can. I so wanted to use this word bricoli. Is that is that how you pronounce it? That's a word you used in the book, and I was very intrigued by it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, what it means is just kind of the bringing together of different elements into, and that you know, globalization the what we find in the world are not just like separate pieces, but that there's a, a combining of different elements into a, yeah. a new whole. I probably can't say it any better than you can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I dropped it. But you know what it means. So that's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 dropped, I dropped it on my wife last night as I was reading. And she like, said broccoli? Yeah. 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 She said, we're not eating yet. <laughs> we're not eating yet. <laughs> I said, no, listen to this academic mind you have here. <laughs> so uh, so I, I will use that word in a sense. Uh, at yep. some point. Yep. Nothing just, impresses your wife like a yeah. Broccoli. Right. Yeah. So uh, thanks for joining us today on the Reimagined Podcast. As always, you can follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Overcast. Download any of the episodes. We're up to episode 52 and share and rate them. Check us out at the Reimagined Podcast website, reimaginedcast.com. So for Brad and Brian, I'm Greg. Thanks for listening to the Reimagined Podcast. <laughs>